I will often distill things back to first principles. And so what I really like doing is going back to the problem that we're trying to solve and having absolute clarity on that. Because without defining that, you will never thrive in complexity. You'll end up going down burrows, you'll move with beyond the scope, and I think you'll exhaust yourself and exhaust others and not end up with the solution that you need. So I'm, I tend to spend a lot of time at the outset understanding the problem and then breaking that problem down. Welcome to the Thriving in Complexity podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne Libertilia, and I'd love for you to join me as I peek behind the scenes of complex situations and workplaces and interview leaders and experts who will challenge your thinking, inform and inspire your leadership so you and your team can thrive in the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world we live in. Today, I'm speaking with Karen Newton, the CEO of Directors Australia, a national board consulting and non-executive director recruitment firm. Karen advises a wide range of businesses on improving board and organisational performance, including strategy, board structures, board composition, risk and governance systems and practices. She has over 30 years experience working in various legal, management and commercial roles in the private and public sectors, as well as a consultant working across the private, government, publicly listed and not-for-profit sectors in a wide range of industries. She also has extensive personal experience as a director on the boards of private, public sector and not-for-profit companies in industries including aged care, education, childcare, energy, property and housing. Wow, what a diverse range of experience. Karen also serves as an independent governance expert on nominations committees for a number of Australian banks. She has master's qualifications in law, business administration and arts, and is a fellow and accredited facilitator with the Australian Institute of Company Directors. She is also a member of Chief Executive Women. Karen, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I wonder if you'd be happy to start with sharing with people something about you that they may not know. Well, thanks for the opportunity to have a, a chat with you too, uh, today, Suzanne. I really appreciate it. And I guess something people wouldn't know about me is as a 16-year-old, all I wanted to do was fly jets. Wow. So what happened? So at that stage, and we're going back to the 1980s, the place where I wanted to fly jets was with the Australian Air Force. And of course, women weren't allowed to fly jets in the Air Force at that time. Oh. So. I guess what it, it really started in me was a whole path of just wanting to fight for equality for women. And at a young age, I learned that through the fact that I couldn't do what I really wanted to do in my career. That's so interesting. And so have you ever gone on to get a pilot's license or fly in any way? I, I haven't. And I don't know whether it was so much about the flying jets, but the desire to be involved in, in the services. And so what I did do is when I went and studied law at university, I joined the Army Reserve and I did my officer training through the Queensland University Regiment and I became an officer and I served in the Signal Corps, a little bit of work with the Legal Corps and then transferred into the Intelligence Corps. So I sort of got there, but in a roundabout way. Yeah, yeah. 
Isn't it interesting how our life takes all these very different twists and turns that we start on a path and it can take us to places that we never, ever expected? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's really, I mean, I know you're CEO of Directors Australia now, but I think you've had quite an interesting path to find your way to that place. And you're working across all types of markets and industry types. What are some of the common challenges that you're observing that boards are grappling with these days? It's a really good question because boards are operating in an increasingly complex and dynamic strategic environment. And that was the case before we had the COVID overlay. And what we're seeing now, in addition to the COVID and other sort of demands on directors, is an increased societal expectation of what boards do Mm -hmm. and how companies should operate. What's their role in society? So, you know, we've had a growing trend of directors being increasingly liable for corporate acts. We've got strategic challenges by COVID. And now we've got this additional, I think, expectation of society that corporates have got a really important role to play. So it's making the role of a director much more complex. Yes. And so what are some of those complex challenges that really boards are facing? So I think if I had to pull out sort of some key themes from the work that we've done, for example, in the last year or so. One has been about a purpose and strategy. Mm -hmm. And of course, COVID's forced many companies to go back to, you know, just their fundamental reason for being or their competitive advantage and how they're going to achieve that. There's then sort of three other risk and opportunity areas that are front and centre. They're people risks. Yes. And that's around, uh, obviously, safety. But also there's some other elements as well that are coming to the fore. So work from home is bringing in a whole new range of issues for boards. We're now seeing a greater focus on uh, preventing sexual harassment and discrimination in the workplace. And we've got legislation to bring in a positive duty for directors in that regard. So that whole people space is a key one. Cyber, really front and centre of the minds of directors and boards collectively. We've seen a number of high-profile cases in that regard that have heightened, I think, the focus in that area. And the third one's around climate change. And that gets back into that issue around the expectation of corporations and organisations as part of broader society. And so looking at, you know, what impact does climate change have on our organisation And that comes into the strategic issue and the business model issue, but also what impact do we have as an organisation on the environment? And that feeds into being a good corporate citizen and obviously, you know, now the various regulatory uh, requirements also that are coming under that banner. And it's a shift in societal expectations is really playing out in that space as well, isn't it, in terms of what people want from the organisations that they buy products from or services from absolutely do you think that's having an impact on the type of skill sets then that boards are looking to recruit i do over the last five years and perhaps even more so over the last couple of years what i've seen boards do is be a lot more deliberate in understanding what the composition of the board needs to be to guide and drive strategy and effectively govern the company yeah and typically you know that's set out in a matrix Some people call it a board skills matrix. I call it a board composition matrix because it's more than skills. Skills and experience is part of it, 
but there's also diversity criteria and non-skills-based criteria. And then thirdly, I think you need to look at the personal attributes that every single director must have to be able to bring those skills and experience and the value of their diversity perspective Mm. to the fore in the boardroom. So boards are definitely being a lot more deliberate about that. And then if we also think about some of those changes that I've also mentioned, they are looking for people who've got skills around people, so strategic people skills. Increasingly, people understand technology, and that might be technology from a marketing perspective, from a delivery perspective, or from an infrastructure and cyber perspective. And I think also a focus on directors understanding sustainability, and for some big corporations that have a big climate impact, even that as a standalone skill set is also something that's being looked at. So it's one of the things that I'm noticing is this real shift in the way that people need to think, that it's not just about what you know, it's about your ability to actually ask incisive questions, but then also process a multiplicity of perspectives and try and make sense of what is that next step in the right direction and acknowledging that you can't control everything. So it's really thinking about how do you get prepared for what might come at you next? I mean, is that a sort of a trend that you're seeing as well? It is, and probably from two different perspectives. So one is around the strategic planning processes of the board. Mm -hmm. And certainly I think there's been a big change in the approach of boards to strategy, their involvement in it and the frequency of strategy and the timelines of strategy. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, as we've got more changes and companies need to adapt more quickly, and these are changes that are fundamental to the success of the company, yes. we're seeing boards more involved. So, you know, the annual strategy retreat often is a thing of the past now. There's got to be strategy considered on a more regular basis. And generally, you know, we're seeing sort of timeframes for strategic plans reduce as well. Yeah. So more flexibility, adaptability, certainly in boards and how they operate in that strategic planning process. The other part to it is sort of this human element. And when I speak to directors, I always talk about the need for judgment because boards are often operating not in the black and white, but almost in the grey. Yes. That they... They mightn't have all of the information, but sometimes you have to make a decision without having all of the information. I recently heard a quote which I think is a perhaps apt in this context, although it was said in a different way, but, you know, perfect is good, done is better. Sometimes you can't make a decision with all the information because if you wait for all the information, you're going to miss the timing of when you need to make the decision. So, you know, boards increasingly, I think, are operating in in spaces where a lot of judgment is required. Mm. And that probably also reflects the fact that there's a lot more need for adaptation. So you might make a decision and then you're looking for what's happening in response to that. Do we need to tweak what we're doing in some way or do we just keep going and keep monitoring what's happening? Absolutely, which gets back to the need to have strategy as, as a discussion point more regularly than once a year, for example. So it might be, and indeed many boards that we work with, have strategy right up front on every agenda item. Mm. And it's about looking at strategy proactively and reactively. And by that, I mean 
looking at the environment, what's happening in the environment, what are some of the trends, what are some of the changes, what are our competitors doing, which is testing whether our strategy is still the right response to that environment, but also in a reactive way, looking at whether we're implementing what we said we were going to implement. And of course, that's the role of the board too, to monitor that execution yes. piece as well. Yes. While also making sure that the desired culture is adhered to. Yes. Lots of things for board members to keep their eye on. Absolutely. And so that shift with strategy, Karen, do you think that that is something that needed to happen regardless of COVID emerging or is it something that COVID has made people much more conscious of it? I think COVID certainly brought about more rapid change in considering the board's role in strategy, but that was happening in any case. I think boards, if we look at over a longer time frame, have really gone through a shift. Previously, I think the role of the board was a lot more hands-off. Mm-hmm. It was perhaps in some cases almost you know, something you do at the end of the career. There was a little bit of perhaps ceremony around being on the board, a little bit of reputation building. And and the way that our laws have changed and society has changed has meant that the role of the board has changed in any case. And so I think that change in any case has meant that boards are more involved in strategy. And that was happening, but COVID certainly has accelerated that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot more lately is whether or not We really need the old traditional five-year strategic plan with all of the, these are our performance measures, these are our indicators, and being very specific about where organisations want to land by a particular time. I've been thinking more about that focusing on the broad direction in which you want to head and what are the indicators about whether or not you're on the right path to, for that direction is probably more appropriate when you're operating in quite complex environments. How are you seeing boards deal with that shift away or are they still really holding on tight to the old five-year strategic plan? I think certainly the timeframe over which companies are planning is shortened. I don't see many five-year strategic plans at the moment. Three is sort of more the, I guess, typical time frame I'd see. And I had a, a conversation with a CEO of a company, a company operating in a fast-moving technology space recently, which perhaps goes to the observation you've made there. And the conversation was around planning for a period of time. And I said, you know, what's your ambition in terms of where would you like to be at, say, three in three years? And he said, well, we can't plan for that because our environment's changing so rapidly and we need to be more responsive. And I understand that. But what you can plan for and what you can have a strategic intent that's focused on is the size that you want the company to be. Yes. The nature of its products and services, the space it is generally going to play in, the turnover and the investment and the the profit and the return on investment and the return to shareholders. So I think it's probably just adapting what you think about also in terms of how you define your ambition, how you get there might change. And that might be something that you do have to be a lot more flexible around. But you still, I think, without that ambition, have trouble motivating people, holding people to account, monitoring performance. And you need some element of that, I think. Yes. I think it's very hard to be completely organic. I agree with you totally. You've got to have some sense of that direction that you're wanting to head in and roughly what it 
needs to look like or the parameters that you want to evolve within. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Directors Australia works with a, a broad range of organisations. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit more about what you what the organisation actually does and how it works with boards? Yeah, absolutely. So fundamentally, we're board performance specialists. So we work with organisations to deliver the right people, the insights and the strategies for boards to govern effectively. And we do it through board and governance advisory services and specialist, not executive director recruitment. We work with boards across all different ownership types in all sorts of industries. So, you know, my day can take me from working with a charitable organisation through to an ASX listed company. I can work with an ag company in the morning. I can work with a mining company at lunchtime. And I can work with a disability service provider late in the day. So it's really diverse work because at the core of what we do is around how do boards effectively govern organisations? Have they got the right people? Have they got the right processes? Have they got the right structures? So Karen, I'm guessing then you've done quite a lot of board performance evaluations. I have. I should know the exact number, but I do know it's at least 150. Wow, that's a lot. (laughs) And so (laughs) having done that many evaluations, I'm sure you're aware then of some of the common traps that boards can fall into. What are some of the ones that they should be keeping an eye out for to try and avoid? So in all of the work that I do and my team does, I think I can distill the traps and issues down to four things. And it's maybe not one of them, it might be one or more of them. And the four things are lack of agreement on purpose and the plan to achieve that purpose, which goes to the discussion we've just had. A lack of role clarity. What's the role of the board? What's the role of the director? What's the role of management, etc.? Lack of authority clarity. Who can make what decisions? And of course, that's not a problem until someone makes a decision that goes bad and then there's lots of finger pointing. And lack of good communication and trust. Yes. So all of the issues that I've seen pretty much fall under one or more of those four items. And so how important do you think are board dynamics then when it comes to navigating these much more complex environments and those four challenges that you've just outlined? Yeah, it's a great question because I look at governance sometimes in terms of hard governance and soft governance. And by that, I mean, you know, the hard governance is the policies and the documents and the frameworks. And they're often the easier things to do. You know, you can draft them yourselves, you can get experts like us to come in and and draft them. But the really hard bit is the soft bit, and that's the dynamics, the interplay between people and the emotional intelligence of individuals that goes over the top of that. And, of course, in the boardroom, that plays out in the relationship between directors on the board to lead to a healthy board dynamic and often the relationship then between the board collectively and management. And for a board to operate effectively, you can have all the hard governance can be in place, but you need that soft governance to work really well mm-hmm. as well. So when I talked about board composition before, you know, I talked about the importance of personal attributes. And that's just so key because you might have a director on a board who's got the perfect skill and experience set that you need. They might tick a diversity box, which is a diversity criteria you've been seeking for a long time. But if they're dogmatic, egotistical, opinionated, or any 
one of those other sort of negative personal traits, they're never going to bring that skills, experience or benefits of the diverse perspectives to the boardroom table. And in fact, what they're going to do is they're going to detract value from the board. They're likely to cause, you know, dysfunction and factions and the board will be distracted from performing its key roles and will be instead focused on trying to fix some of these internal dynamic issues. Mm. Now, Karen, you're not just the CEO of Directors Australia, you're a non-executive director yourself. And I'm really curious about some of the things that you do personally to help create that environment that enables the type of constructive disagreement that's needed to improve the quality of decision-making, particularly if you've got all of these other personality issues playing out in the background? It's a great question. Can I just start by saying, I think if I had an elevator pitch for the role of a director, it's to ask questions courageously yet constructively. And so I try to reflect on that in my role as a non-executive director. And so the courageous bit often comes up when you're the only person who wants to offer a contrary view or wants the discussion to keep going because you think that we haven't explored all of the issues. And that can be challenging. I would like to think that I feel that I can raise those issues in the boardroom, but I also need to do it in a constructive way. And so I try to reflect on that as well, because if you don't do that in a constructive way, then you create the dynamic issues. And that's again, between the directors and between the directors and management. And when I first sat on my, I guess, big step into more corporate boards and it was sitting on the board of Energex, I saw some feedback from a very experienced director and also some guidance on, you know, how I should approach this role. And she gave me a piece of advice that I've always kept in mind. And that is in every board meeting, no matter how poor you think the papers might be, or how much you think that management mightn't be performing well, find a positive thing to say. Mm -hmm. And so I do try to do that. I try to couch some constructive challenge with a positive statement as a lead-in. And then there's some other things that I try to do too is I'll try to, as a director, I'll say, if I could just present a contrary view for the sake of some better decision-making potentially, or if I could just black hat this one, so that we can just explore this issue a little bit further. So I try to use techniques like that. And when I chair meetings, what I try to do is not always lead with my view. There is, I think, sometimes a tendency chairs will lead with their view, and if they're strong chairs or strong personality types, it makes it even harder for a director to constructively challenge. Yes. And so sometimes I think with the chair, it's better to have the view last. Let others have the view first. Mm. and then come in at the end with your view. And indeed, when I've used that technique, sometimes my view's changed by the, yep. the time I've heard from others. And that willingness to change is really key. That's a key personal attribute of a director, to be able to think, listen to others, process information, and, and adapt your view if, if you think that that's necessary. So, Karen, it sounds like there's a real similarity between the skills that a director needs and a leader needs within the organisation as well? I think that's absolutely the case. You know, at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about leadership, relationships, human dynamics. Decision-making happens at all levels of an organisation. Mm. So very much so. And being much more conscious about how you're framing things before you actually jump in with the question. 
and thinking about what sort of response that will elicit? That's right. I think I often will go into a board meeting with probably the top three things or three points that I'd like to make out of the meeting or areas of challenge that I'd like. So I do reflect a lot before meetings and I actually reflect a lot after meetings. I think it's good practice for boards collectively to reflect at the end of a meeting how that meeting's gone and what they change next time. But I do that on an individual level. I always reflect on, you know, did I not make my point well? Could I have approached something differently? And seeking the feedback from the chair of the board or from other directors from time to time is also really useful, I think, as part of that reflective learning. Mm. So really that importance not only of multiple perspectives when you're making a decision, but multiple perspectives just to check in on how are we tracking in terms of the dynamics? How am I influencing how things are playing out in the boardroom? Absolutely. I think that's that's key. Yeah. And so, Karen, in your own words, what does thriving and complexity mean to you? So paradoxically, I think the best answer or the best response to that is simplicity. Mm-hmm. And when I'm when I'm working with boards and particularly when I'm talking about issues that might be complex in nature, I will often distill things back to first principles. And so what I really like doing is going back to the problem that we're trying to solve and having absolute clarity on that because without defining that, you will never thrive in complexity. Mm-hmm. You'll end up going down burrows, you'll move with beyond the scope and I think you'll exhaust yourself and exhaust others and not end up with the solution that you need. So I'm, I tend to spend a lot of time at the outset understanding the problem mm-hmm. and then breaking that problem down. Old saying, how do you eat an elephant? It's one piece at a time. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And the other piece of advice that someone gave me once, which I think helps to thrive in complexity, is it's never as bad as it first seems. And by that, what I take out of, you know, that saying is don't jump into trying to solve a problem without understanding it first. And often if you break it down into component parts and examine them, the problem or the solution to the problem will start to appear rather than jumping in, oh, my goodness, I've got a problem. This is complex. How do I deal with it? Setting down, understanding it, planning to solve it, breaking it down into those component parts Mm. is, I think, how you thrive in complexity. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting because if we tie that together with what you were saying earlier about you also need to be very careful that you don't wait until you have all every piece of information before you act it's a bit of a juggle isn't it in terms of working out do I know enough about this to do something or am I paralyzed by the need to know everything which we know with complexity you're never ever often going to find out exactly why something happened you need to actually focus on how are we going to move on from here so that There's a lot there for people to actually ask themselves, have I jumped, do I have enough information to respond? Am I waiting too long to respond? It's quite a number of things there that people need to be really conscious of, aren't there? Absolutely. I think that is part of solving complex problems is knowing when it's time to move on. Mm. The other thing that I'd just throw 
over the top of that as well as understanding the human dynamics over the top of it because the solution will not just be the you know the hard aspects the systems processes structures policies etc it'll be also the human dynamic so understanding that human dynamic is is really important at director level you know emotional intelligence is so key understanding uh, having some self awareness of how you're perceived by others and the impact that you have on others and they have on you is just so critical. Mm. I've been working with an organisation implementing an operating model review over a period of time and you can have the most wonderful vision but you actually need the people to get on board and work through a whole range of dynamic issues to bring it to life. And it must be so hard for boards at times because of that separation between governance and operations and understanding how can they support the CEO to actually bring their vision to life. It is. And, you know, there's changes in that dynamic between the board and management. I think, you know, 10 years ago or maybe even longer, that relationship was a little bit more adversarial. It was almost like management was coming in the boardroom to undergo the Spanish Inquisition. And I think directors saw their role not to ask questions courageously and constructively, but to try to catch management out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not constructive. That's not everyone working towards the same vision, purpose, strategy. And so the modern way in which boards and management work together is more collaboratively. And whenever I join a board and I talk to the CEO as part of my induction, I always say, we're all in this together. We're all here to achieve the same thing. We have slightly different roles to play in achieving our vision, our purpose, our strategy, but we're in this together. And that's, a, you know, it's just such a lot more positive way to operate and I think to achieve that purpose effectively. Mm. I think it also must have an effect on how management responds to the board as well because when you feel like you're always under the microscope and someone's just waiting to catch you out, the way you tend to respond is quite different than if you're in that more collaborative, let's work on how we find our way through this together type of approach. It sure is. And I, look, I've seen that time and time again. So if management comes to the board with a problem and the board wants to know that, like if you're on a board, you want the bad news to travel fast up to the boardroom and faster than the good news, really. So if management's bringing some bad news or a problem and the reaction of the board is to admonish, to reprimand or to not try to work with management to solve that problem, what's management going to do next time? And the answer is human nature will most likely mean they won't bring the problem to the board the next time. They'll delay bringing it. They'll try to solve the problem themselves and hope that they can do that before they have to tell the board. And so now no one's operating in an ideal way. The board's not getting the information it needs to fulfil its duties and be ultimately accountable to the owners of the company. Management's now not operating in that trusting environment, and that was one of my things in terms of what's common to problems, lack of communication and trust. So now we've got that lack of communication and trust playing out. Mm. So they're not feeling good about how they're operating and how they're performing their roles. They're not feeling supported by the board. So... And as much as possible, we want to avoid that in the boardroom. So that response by the board to management is absolutely a key thing that boards need to reflect on. Mm -hmm. Definitely is. 
So, Karen, were you ever faced with a complex situation that afterwards you wish you had managed differently? I think there's many complex situations that are faced as a director, as a manager, as a, I guess, consultant and advisor to boards. And probably my key point is always when I've reflected on how I've managed situations, it's been that I haven't gone through that process of really understanding the problem first, Mm -hmm. that I've been too quick to jump to a conclusion without understanding what it is that I really need to solve. Because often the problem as it's told to you is not the real problem. Mm. So I think in some complex areas and situations I've been involved, that's probably key, is just not understanding really the core issue at play at the beginning. And the other thing I think I've reflected on in some of the complex environments I've operated in is understanding the dynamics as well. What are the what are the views and needs of stakeholders? Where are they skewing the input they've got to the issue at hand? Where does that need to be taken into account? And where does it need to be disregarded? Because mm. as you're saying that, a lot of things are coming up around context. Really, are you asking enough questions, not just to understand the problem that's in front of you, but are you getting that broader sense of what's happening in the context that sits around it, not just within the organisation or within the immediate industry, but what are the things that are influencing in other ways, but also what's happening at an interpersonal level with the staff within the organisation and how are they looking at things and how is that affecting the view, I suppose, that the board is getting? Yeah, and context is really key because... Every person is only a sum of their own experiences. So unless you look more broadly, you will only see the world through your own experiences. Mm. And that's one of the things I love about working with boards is you get this wonderful richness when you get this whole set of experiences coming to the table. And the way that a board should work is that the sum of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So you're really getting this richness that you wouldn't get if you were an individual making a decision. But it does mean that I think part of your role as a director and even being a leader is to look more broadly, to read more widely, to invest in your personal development, Mm. to acknowledge that the views and the set of experiences that you've had are not the only inputs to solving a complex problem. Mm. And I like how before you talked about when you ask other people their perspectives first, by the time it gets to you when you choose to go last, you've actually reshaped your thinking through that process. I think that's such a lovely thing for people to keep in mind. Yeah, which is why being dogmatic is not one of the ideal personal attributes of a director. As a dogmatic director, I do that. Their view is their view and they, they won't be shifted from it. Yes, yes. So, Karen, if you were to look back at your 25-year-old self... And you had an opportunity to go back and give yourself some advice. What advice would you give yourself back then? So there's probably a few things that I would say. One is never look back. And a good friend of mine, a school friend of mine, has recently taken up art. And a lot of her art is about self-belief and empowerment. And she did this painting, which hangs above my bed in my bedroom, 
And she's written on the canvas, never look back, and then she's painted this woman over the front of it. And I, I just love that. I think that's a great message. You can't change what's happened. Don't reflect on it. It's wasted energy to think about what's happened, except for the fact that you do learn, obviously, from what you've done. But overdwelling on that is not constructive. So always look forward. Look to the future. Don't worry about the future because that's wasted energy as well. But think about the opportunity. So that that's one of the things. The second thing is back yourself. If you want to do something, take the risk. And the third thing, and I say this to my two children who are now 20 and 22, is always try to look at life through the glass that's half full, not half empty. Yes. That will make life much more enjoyable for you and you'll be a lot more enjoyable to be around. So they're probably the three key things that I would I would say. They're very wise things. I think a lot of people can relate to those. Can I just add one other thing about backing yourself? When I went and did my officer training while I was at university, that was a pretty hard slog at that stage. I was one of the only women. My father didn't necessarily think that was an appropriate thing for a woman to do, which was only out of, you know, his care and concern for me. It was the best training I've ever had. I reflect on my officer training through the Army Reserve regularly. It taught me structure. It taught me leadership. It taught me dealing in male-dominated environments. It gave me confidence to do things. It made me physically fit as well as it challenged me mentally. So backing myself for that really young age, say I am going to do this despite the fact that I think many people don't agree and many systems, the system didn't agree necessarily with me being there either at that stage, has stood me in really good stead. And I got from that as well, don't be afraid to be stretched. That's right. You know, and I was stretched, that's for sure. And I actually learned so much from that. Mm. And to see it as that opportunity that you spoke about, that what can I actually learn from this? How can I grow and become something else? Yeah. So I know when we're dealing in complexity, we often can worry about who we are. And what I've gotten from what you said is actually being prepared to actually move on and develop as the opportunities provide you that chance to become something else. I think that's right. And if, if I can make sort of a gender-based statement, I think women sometimes are reticent to do that. You know, we, we often hear the, the saying that, you know, men all apply for a job when they've got 80% of what's set yes. out in the position description, but women need 120%. And I, I do see that mm. play out. We've got to back ourselves more. Yeah. I know I was at an event where Dame Quentin Bryce, the former Governor General of Australia, spoke just after she stepped down as Governor General. And she said that one of the things that made the biggest difference in terms of her career was the fact that whenever anyone came to her and said, Quentin, will you do this? She didn't dwell on it. She just said yes first and then worked out what that meant and how she was going to get there. And that's how she made most use of those opportunities. And that's something I've always reflected on because you never know where those opportunities are going to take you. I absolutely agree with that. And I think of, you know, other things that I've done in my career. I've always been the one to say yes and then work out how I'm going to do it because it's never as bad as it first seems, remember? (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) 
So, Karen, if people remember one thing from what we've spoken about today, what do you think they must really keep in mind? So if we take it back to the theme around complexity, I think it is trying to make it simple. Come back to distilling just the key elements. What is that problem? As I said, often people will come to you with a problem or ask you to do something, and actually the problem's not the right problem. Mm. I think it's getting that understanding the problem, really understanding the problem first. I think that's that's probably the key thing if we look particularly at that complexity piece. Mm. Yeah, definitely something for people to keep in mind. Am I making this more complicated and more difficult than it needs to be? What are the key things here that I really need to focus on? Yeah. Yeah. And so, Karen, if people would like to find you online, how can they do that? So probably the best way to find me is through LinkedIn. I'm uh, quite active on LinkedIn. And I, I've got a second persona on LinkedIn that people might also see, and that is I'm the board whisperer. And every Friday at around lunchtime, I do a post under the board whisperer banner. So every second Friday, it's a short vlog only three minutes and on the Friday, on the second Friday, it's uh, some sort of follow-up post to that. So that's the best way to find me on social media. And I know they are well worth watching. I've watched a number of them. And for someone who has done so many board performance reviews, you really are someone who knows what they're talking about in this space. So I can highly recommend them. Thank you. So Karen, thank you so much for sharing your insights today. I really appreciate you being part of the podcast. My absolute pleasure, anytime. Thanks for listening. If you had something you want to revisit or explore in more detail, you can check out the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and you like helping others to open their thinking, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. As always, a big thank you to Leon Fitton and the team at the Podcast Concierge. That's all for this episode. I'll see you next time.